I think what we see is people really have a desire to make a positive impact, and that's growing more and more. We know 52% of consumers are saying that they're climate conscious, but they're not living as sustainably as they would like to. And we see that through our products, we really can help them to live their values. You're listening to Shaping Sustainable Places, a new Skanska podcast. We're here to recognize, encourage, and inspire stakeholders in the industry and beyond to accelerate the transition to a more sustainable, resilient, zero-carbon-built environment. In each episode, we'll be speaking with industry and civic leaders, policymakers, and other champions of change to explore innovative solutions to real challenges. Rapid urbanization and pollution growth are outpacing the construction of adequate and affordable housing. Alongside this, people around the world are becoming more aware of their carbon footprint and looking for ways to live more sustainably in everything from how they move to how they choose to live to what they eat and how they do their laundry. One way we can ensure a sustainable future is by creating homes and communities that are healthy, safe, resilient, and accessible to everyone. So how do we design residential neighborhoods along with the homes and services and appliances that will allow people to live according to their sustainable values and even have a positive impact on the environment? And how can we bring residents and communities along on the journey toward a more sustainable future? Today, our host Heather Clancy sits down with three experts to discuss how people around the world are trying to live healthier, more sustainable lives. We begin with Vanessa Butani, Vice President for Group Sustainability at Electrolux, a global home appliance company. She's responsible for sustainability work across the organization, which includes its sustainability framework in which Electrolux calls for a better company, better solution, and better living by 2030. Let's talk about your customers. How are their expectations changing? And how is that affecting how Electrolux designs and talks about its technologies? What we see is people really have a desire to make a positive impact, and that's growing more and more. We know 52% of consumers are saying that they're climate conscious, but they're not living as sustainably as they would like to. And we see that through our products, we really can help them to live their values, because also for us, the biggest impact that we make is in the use phase of our products. As I said, when the products are used every single day in people's homes, and you kind of don't think about that with your fridge, your oven, your washing machine, things like that, they're used all the time. And if we then can make an impact on that use phase, then that's what we want to do. For us, we need to continue to make our products better and better. You talked about what your consumers are looking for. Tell us about the Better Living Program and how some of those things that you were just speaking about fit into that sensibility. So I think our Better Living program really shows you how we are taking our responsibility and the role that we have to play. I talked about better solutions, that we need to make the best products, and that's obviously all on us and how we do that and how we work together with our retail partners to push out the most efficient products there are. But it's also better living, getting people to use those products in the right way and change their behavior. So there's different things that we're doing to try to address this. For example, one thing that I'm really excited about is how we, in 2021, surveyed 14,000 young people across the world to understand about the future from our future consumers and what they're interested in, what's important for them, so that we can continue to stay ahead of the curve and serve them. So they're not only willing to drastically change their lifestyles in order to save the planet, but they also see themselves as sustainability advocates and leaders for a more sustainable future. They're not looking to the government. They're not looking to their parents. They really want to make that change themselves. And that's very inspiring to see. 
Out of that, we created a Changemakers team, which is eight young people from around the world that helps us to develop innovations to promote more sustainable solutions. Here, we started with looking at laundry and how we can do that. Another thing that we're doing is our most recent campaign called Break the Pattern, where we're trying to just show people that doing things differently, you can break your pattern, right? The most sustainable clothes are the ones that we already have. So if we just extend the life of our clothes by just nine months, we can reduce the climate impact by 20 to 30 percent for both water and the waste that is produced. Our goal at Electrolux is to make clothes last twice as long with half the environmental impact. So we're really working on care technologies and intuitive laundry appliances to help consumers break this pattern of just using clothes a little bit as soon as something happens, throwing it away and contributing to a huge amount of waste of clothing and fabric. If we think about our laundry practices, if we think about how we can take care of our clothes better, we can help to extend the lifetime of garments and use less water and detergents, right? And that becomes a win-win for everyone. And I think that's kind of what's really important to emphasize here is not only are you as a consumer taking better care of your clothes so you can use them longer, but you also have sort of the side effect of decreasing the impact on the environment. And I think it's those kinds of solutions that we need to identify all the time because ultimately people, sure, they want to do their part, but they also, you know, what's in it for me kind of have that mentality, right? So we need to work with both of those pieces. So the biggest, one of the biggest impacts of appliances, of any appliance, is energy and how much energy they consume, whether they're electric, whether they're using natural gas. I'd love to hear your thoughts on electrification as well in this answer. But what are you doing to reduce the energy consumption in the use phase of your products? What specific things are happening with the product line that you're emphasizing and that will have an impact in that way? We for sure are looking at the energy consumption all the time, and that's our top priority, right? Because that is the big impact of our appliances, how they are used. And we're looking across all of our appliances to see how we can continue to work to reduce the energy usage, right? So for example, our new range of sustainable refrigerators, we see there that we're, we're able to reduce food waste by up to 20%, and we're constructing them in a way that means that 80% of the material can be recycled. So that really has a big impact also on the use phase of the appliance and also the end of life. When it comes to the actual energy consumption of the appliance, we're constantly looking at new technologies that we can use. But I think there's another aspect that is super interesting to look at is also, again, this behavior change that we need to drive among consumers. Because, of course, we continue to make the appliances more energy efficient. But we also need to educate consumers about the different opportunities that they have. So, for example, when you're, again, looking at your washing machine, we have incredible programs on the washing machine. And most people always go back to, you know, the classic program that they always use, just do the same one and do it over and over again, right, no matter what they're washing. But if we were to take a moment to look at, okay, what is it I'm washing? What am I trying to achieve here? And how do I try to get the best outcome for my clothes as well? There's different cycles that you can use. For example, something like steam is highly underused, but a really cool technology that we have both for cooking in our ovens as well as in our washing machines, which is kind of funny. But if your clothes are a little bit wrinkled and they just need sort of a refresh, they don't really need a full wash. You can just steam those clothes, run a steam cycle on your washing machine, and you will reduce the water usage by about 90% by doing that. And of course, the energy usage there too. So many different things. And again, it keeps coming back to this better solutions and better living. We make the better solutions and we need to help get consumers to use them in the right way. And again, that's the tough part. How do we get through? Because there's 
so many things happening in a busy day and you come home and you want to get food on the table or you just want to get the laundry done. How do you take the time to, to look at a new message or understand what you can actually do to change your own behavior and reduce your impact? How do you help your consumers understand and know that these options exist? I think we, we use the classic approach, right? We work with our retailers to try and educate them so they can continue to educate. We have consumer groups, but I think the real true breakthrough is having the appliances connected. When you have an app that connects with your appliance that you can sort of learn more about your appliance. And there, I think that maybe I can appreciate appliances aren't perhaps what people think is most interesting in their daily lives. But if we, in the right context, can help a person understand, you know what, look, I see that you've been running the same laundry cycle every time. It looks like you're doing this or that. What if you try this? Or, you know, sending a tip at the right time. Just simple things like turn down the temperature, right? Moving from the 40 degrees Celsius to 30 degrees Celsius can save a lot of energy and also is much nicer to your clothes. So it's those kinds of things that we're doing to try and to reach out. But again, I think that the connectivity that we can get will really help us to spread that message. But then, of course, we're doing the big things like this Break the Pattern campaign that I mentioned also, where we are trying to raise people's awareness. Think about what you're doing. Maybe it doesn't mean changing your appliance. That's not the idea, but more about think about how you're taking care of your clothes because you can make an impact to make your clothes last longer and also reduce the impact on the environment. So what are your consumers telling you about their experiences and their expectations in terms of sustainability, right? In other words, you're willing to provide this information. What are they telling you about how they want to engage with you? I mean, are they saying, help us? What are they telling you in terms of sustainability and how they want to live? For consumers, I mean, their expectations are increasing all the time, right? So they want to know what we're doing. And I'll give you a nice example. We have been testing recycled plastic in our refrigeration products. And we did some consumer tests with consumers to see how do they like that? Because, you know, with recycled plastic, it's hard to get that perfect white that you're used to, for example, in a refrigerator. But we did different tests and, you know, people were perhaps interested, curious. But when we said, you know, this is recycled plastic, they were like, great, that's exactly what we want. Forget about the other ones. We want that, right? So consumers want the information, but we have to be really careful that we don't overload because we can't talk about everything all at once. So we need to be very clear. And then one thing that we're doing there where we're really trying to identify how can we really differentiate ourselves by identifying where we can actually make an impact what is actually interesting to consumers and how our brand then can stand for something and be very clear on that perspective. Another part that I'd really like to raise here is the holistic view on sustainability that consumers are more and more adopting, right? So it's not just about the environment. It's not just about the energy rate, but what happens at the end of that? How do you produce these products? Where do you produce these products? How do you treat the people who are producing them for you? So those kinds of aspects are becoming more and more important. And not only, of course, we're consumers, but for sure when it comes to regulation, in the government as well. So it, it's really a big holistic view that we need to take now and understand how can we, we get these messages across in the best way. So one of your company's priorities is to make the home a healthier place to thrive in alongside doing all of these things to have the carbon footprint. So how do you do that? How do you get to that healthier component of the mission? When we look at the healthier home, we really look at the space that we're operating in. So looking at how is the air quality in your home? How are the surfaces? How clean are they? What kinds of particles perhaps are there in the air? And how can we work with our different types of products to help you create the most healthy environment in your home? And that depends on you, of course, where you live, what is your preference? How do you want that to be? But we 
we see again, when we are able to create sort of an ecosystem for people, connecting different parts that can together address that healthy air in the home, the healthy environment in the home that really makes it a more comfortable place to be and a more wonderful place that you want to be. At the same time, of course, we don't back down on our priorities in terms of reducing the energy efficiency, in terms of improving the materials and the ways of producing the products. So we have the same principles, the same targets, no matter what. What do you see as the most encouraging and optimistic trends in the ways of living to reduce climate impact and to improve resilience? Can you give me some examples of that? One thing that I'm really excited about, and it's a very specific thing, is actually the project that we're doing together with Skanska, and it's called Greenhouse Stockholm. So. At our Electrolux headquarters in Stockholm, it's currently 100% office property. But over time, it's going to be transformed into a vibrant, multi-purpose community promoting the quality of life, health, accessibility, and everyday ease. So we're not only the first tenant as Electrolux, but we also own the property. And our ambition is to offer a more sustainable and better life for everyone there. So when it's fully developed, this area will be a, like a small, sustainable city within the city with about 3,000 people working, living there, and thriving within one neighborhood. We've been inspired by the 15-minute city that I know we've also been talking about in this podcast, where all the essential services can be reached very easily in within 15 minutes. So the Greenhouse Stockholm really is an exciting project with all these types of dwellings and different types of businesses also that will be part of that. Some of the big advances that we're making here is reducing the building's total climate footprint. So we're getting a certification for that through the Swedish energy to make sure that it is is called a zero climate footprint building. We have different circular solutions and renewable materials. So for example, anything that we're tearing down in the area, we're looking at those materials and seeing how we can use them again to rebuild the area there. There's a lot of sharing in this concept for a sustainable future. So for example, of course, the shared laundry rooms, but also shared living spaces, shared gym, shared gardening spaces, more shared sort of lounge areas and things like that to really encourage both this community feeling, but also making people feel like they have more space and then perhaps they have in their own individual unit. And then, of course, we call it better eating. Needless to say, when you're moving into a neighborhood that's created by Electrolux, it's connected and we have the most energy efficient, top of the line premium appliances as standard there. But there's also going to be plenty of kitchens that people can choose from their own or a shared indoor or outdoor kitchen to use. So things like that. Projects like that are super exciting, I think, and show that there really is both a commitment from various companies like us and Skanska together to try to grow something like that, but also such an interest from people to live in a place like that and show how they can make a difference. So that's something I'm very excited about. Global warming and climate change can seem very intimidating for the average person. What can we do to help with an issue that feels so big? Vanessa reminds us that seemingly small acts like changing your washing machine settings can go a long way. Our next guest is Guillaume Chanebrenet, co-founder and strategic director of Space 10, a research and design lab with the goal of creating a better life for the planet and people. Guillaume was no stranger to the podcast. In fact, he appeared on our Designing a Sustainable City episode. Today, he's back to talk about his ideal city, as well as the benefits of affordable housing and communal living. He shares the ways it not only helps people feel less lonely, but also how it helps to build resilient communities, cities, and towns. We know that cities have many things to cope with, rapid growth, urban sprawl, all of these things are at odds with the vision of many mayors to reduce emissions. What do you see cities doing to address these sort of converging challenges? Can you give us some examples of things that you're seeing that would address that? 
Yeah, absolutely. If you allow me, though, I think talking a little bit about the variety of challenges that cities are exposed to, the urgency of the problems and the diversity of those problems is actually extraordinary. I think almost unprecedented in its pace and its volume. Nearly two-thirds of the world population will live in cities very soon, and all of those cities have challenges that are at the same time very common and are some others extremely specific to them. And it's very interesting to see that despite all the research that we've done, we haven't identified one single silver bullet that would basically help cities and people to cope with all those challenges in one way. A lot of the things we can see in some of those mega trends that are very transversal or international are things like the environmental impact or the social impact of the built environment is extraordinary. Nearly 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions come from the built environment, from construction and from buildings themselves. So there's an enormous challenges for cities to be able to address this sustainability challenge. But on top of that comes extraordinary challenges that are adding to this. Affordable housing is top of mind, for example. Sustainability, but also loneliness, stress, congestion, all of these are extraordinary challenges for cities. Your firm, Space 10, has recently published a report, a project, if you will, called The Ideal City 2040. And you've got designers and researchers and city planners that are, have all kind of come together to help propose and vision and dream about what an ideal city in the future could look like. I have a very emotional connection with the project that I find really cool and very easy to make because it doesn't require a lot of infrastructural cost or, or big things. But it's a project and a team. Actually, residents we've been able to meet a couple of times through our events at Space 10. And it's a project called New Grounds Co-housing. It's in London or close to London. And it basically is a community that is made of women that are 50 plus. And they have built this architectural concept for them to work together, to maintain the space, to garden, to take care of it, to have community space where they can have dinner together, but they have private spaces as well. They have access to resources that are shared. And you often think about co-living as this concept that mostly speaks to younger generations. But at least in the Western world, it's very different in the global South, for example, where intergenerational living and co-living in general is common ground. It is not really, or we've lost that in Europe. And just seeing the energy and the happiness that those women show by just being who they are in this community is extraordinary. And at a time where population is aging, I think architecture has a big role to play to fight against loneliness and isolation and to foster the type of interaction that will actually keep those people socially engaged and active and therefore happy. What other concrete examples from this research can you give us about things that maybe could be scaled and implemented in other places? I think one of my favorite is a project that's been made in the north of Amsterdam and it's called Schoenschrip. Forgive my Dutch, it's not existing, but it's a floating village, if you will, with a circular economy model, a circular community model. It's been developed by a studio called Space and Matter. And basically what it is, is a collection of homes. I believe it's like 40, 46 homes that are all powered by solar panels. They all function on a smart grid. They even have their own cryptocurrency, the Juliet that enables residents to trade surplus of energy that their home produces. They have a heat exchange system that draws heat from the canal water that it's 
based on because floating village means that all the homes are actually built on water, of course. And they have tons of little systems within, such as closed loop water showers, closed loop showers that we use in a circuited, closed circuit, all the water that you use, things like the means to transform human waste in biogas. They have electric car sharing services, et cetera, et cetera. And I find this utopian village extremely interesting because it's real and it functions and it makes people happy and the results are amazing. And it also tells a not a beautiful story. I find it actually sad, but it tells something about the resilience of our country, like the Netherlands, which is extremely exposed to the rising of sea levels, such as many other countries around the world, to come up with solutions that actually work and enable them to check several boxes at the same time or kill several birds with one stone. So I, I really admire this project. I think you've also got another concept called the urban village. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? It's also a good question. I'm glad you bring it up. Research is one thing and it's super inspirational. It gives people, you know, maybe the courage to do it on their own or to get inspiration in order to change their behavior and all that. But innovation is also about doing things. The point of our research most of the time is to lead our design process further. And so if you will, urban village is the culmination of some of the research we had conducted until I would say during 2018, 2019. And we made this concept public, a concept we've developed with Effect Architect. And it's a concept of a multi-family housing model that is extremely sustainable and livable, but also affordable. And that's one big part of the problem, including poor cities. I have not met one city that tells us, yes, I have all the affordable housing that I need. Everyone has a home and no, our cities are not just made increasingly of offices and rich people. I have not heard that. The reality is that I think where the industry kind of broken is not the high end part of the market. If you have money, you can have a house that is extremely sustainable and livable. It is broken on the affordable part. The people with lesser means, I haven't seen a lot of people being able to have an affordable house that is at the same time livable and sustainable. It usually doesn't go together. So we created this system we call Urban Village, which is a vision, but a vision for a concept where we've weaved in techniques, practice, materials that allow for this village to be at the same time livable, sustainable, and affordable by challenging a lot of the status quo, if you will, or the way we do things. So we're betting a lot, for example, on principles that are not new, such as, you know, modular architecture, prefabrication, but an extensive use of new material or emerging material. In particular, we've built our case around the extensive use of engineered wood or mass timber, things like cross-laminated timber, we think is a fantastic material. It has so many benefits, but we've also looked into new financing model, a rent-to-buy model that is very inspired from an old model from Denmark called Endel, where basically people do not own the walls they live in, they own a share of the building they collectively live in. And that allows for a lot of creativity and even the possibility of people accessing homeownership without ever having to deal with a bank. So that has been an extraordinary journey, but mostly what we've looked into and dug deeper in terms of innovation and prototyping is about building what we call a product platform, a set of parts that can be mass produced in order to give a plurality of design outputs and allow us to gain time and money in building new homes, new villages. Uh, so that's been an amazing journey. A large part of creating and enabling healthy places is to make sure that people of all socioeconomic backgrounds have access to them. 
The different solutions that Guillaume and Space 10 put forward do sound quite idyllic, but concepts like the urban village show just how beneficial they could be. Heather is joined next by Johanny Espera, regional manager at Skenska in Helsinki, Finland. He is in charge of the company's residential development operations in the South Finland region. He has much to share about what his fellow Finns are expecting and what they are doing to enable healthy and sustainable living in Skenska developed areas. Let's talk about what you've seen in Finland. What changes have you observed when it comes to how people are living and how they want to live? Yeah, well, first of all, it, it seems quite evident that people, they want a hassle-free housing and easy access to services. So the living environment needs to provide a base for sustainable lifestyle that combines housing, leisure, work, and all the mobility needs and so forth. So living in an urban location with good public connections and easy access to services, is a, it's also a sustainable choice. Another thing is that nature is very important for us as Finns, as you may know. So these urban living environments that we create, they also need to incorporate certain green spaces. And these urban green spaces, they provide opportunities for spending time outdoors without having to drive somewhere else. So that's very important. And finally, more and more people, they are becoming aware of the energy crisis and especially its impact on their lifestyle and the cost of living. So energy efficiency, it really has become a big deal over the years. So let's talk about some of your projects. Let's get more into the tactics and specifics. So you mentioned all of those different elements of things that Finns value in their homes how are you delivering? So can you tell us maybe about a couple of recent residential projects that you're developing that really feed into those concepts of healthy and sustainable living? I could bring up two examples from my region. In eastern Helsinki, so we have a, this aerial project called Kronovuoreranta. It's a seaside location where Skanska is developing at least 10 projects starting from now and all the way to 2030s. So it's a huge project for us. And within this aerial project, we have launched together with the city of Helsinki Energy Company, Helen, a very interesting initiative to build sort of a large-scale seasonal energy storage facility in, in the area. So, so the facility, it will be built in, an, in the existing rock caverns that can be found in the area. And it enables like on-site ecological energy production for these residential projects. And so how it works is that that in the summertime, these huge caverns with 300,000 cubic meters, they will be filled with warm seawater. And in wintertime, the embedded energy in the warm water will be used to heat buildings. So that's quite simple and smart, I would say. Through that solution, we can utilize the caverns that would be otherwise left untouched. <laughs> Another example in Helsinki is a, a residential project called Ambra, which is a it's a project which is located in downtown Helsinki, and it comprises of 126 high-quality apartments, which provide many solutions to support a sustainable lifestyle. It's, first of all, located very close to public transportation. There are smart solutions like water-saving appliances, water energy consumption metering, and obviously good opportunities for recycling and things like that. In addition, this project is both heated and cooled with a sustainable geothermal energy solution, and it has the highest energy efficiency that we can achieve in Finland. And so there's a lot of things that we are doing in this project. It has only just started a couple of months ago and will be completed in 2024. So those are two examples that we are on the project that we're working on. 
Yeah, super interesting. I want to pick both of them apart a little bit. To the first example, the caverns that you spoke of, they're part of the land in that area. I'm curious how Skanska works with municipalities or regional planning boards to make that sort of solution happen. You know, what did that take to enable that? It's good that we have, a, like a same targets with the municipalities. So they, we want the same things as they do. They also want to cut carbon emissions and, and help developers do sustainable housing. So in this specific project, Kronovuoralanta, we are right in the beginning when we started to develop this idea. We contacted the city of Helsinki and asked what kind of a role they wanted to take. And because the ownership of the caverns would have been a bit of a challenge in the future when the housing companies own the land. So we agreed that the city of Helsinki will take over the ownership of the caverns. And then this Helen, the, the energy company, they will operate this facility. So they have a role as an owner of the real estate or the caverns. And through that, they will they enable this solution. So the cooperation is very good in, in my region with the municipality. Super. And to the second project, you mentioned some really exciting emerging technologies that are coming into play, or at least some would consider them to be emerging. Geothermal electrification, of course, of appliances is very important. I think you're ahead of us in Europe than we are in the United States on that re- in that regard. But how do you work with the residences that, you know, you're doing this project? How do you make sure that those elements are part of it and that they're available to the people that are going to live there? You know, are you negotiating special partnership deals that make that happen? What do you need to do to help make those technologies possible? First of all, it's important for us to understand what our uh, clients and home buyers are, want. So what do they want from their living and to be able to know that so we kind of cooperate with our existing and potential future customers by making questionnaires and even taking them with in, in our workshops where we design future areas or future projects. On top of that, we also obviously cooperate with the companies that provide these technologies to together develop new solutions that in, in our project. So we have a number of formal, also formal, but in, informal partnerships with various companies to, to develop the technologies and implement them in our projects. So sustainability is one element of healthy living. What about resilience, right? So we talk about the need for us to make buildings more climate resilient so that they can adjust to changes that we might not even anticipate in the next few years. They also need to be more inclusive. And that could mean that they're affordable, right? So that people of all income levels could afford it, but also that they're accessible potentially for those who may have challenges, physical challenges that make it more difficult. So that's all elements of healthy living. What sorts of strategies or solutions are you thinking about for that as well? So inclusive, resilient elements, what are you doing there? One thing that we consider we develop our our areas is the communality. So so we want to make sure that the living environments that we create, it's possible to, to people to be communal. So there's the communal areas in the actual buildings, but also the outside areas. They are communal and invite people to be together so to understand that the home is not only inside the walls. So that's one thing. In Finland, we have even developed this sort of design methodology called living area design, so LAD. So this methodology, it steers us towards like value-driven spatial planning and 
in this process, we approach the design from a sustainability, local lifestyle and architecture points of view. Through that process, I think those issues that you mentioned can be also covered. What benefits and impacts do you see for people that are living in these sorts of projects? Keeping in mind, of course, that the second one you mentioned isn't in place yet, but what benefits and impacts are you seeing for the work that has been done? First of all, we believe that only buying a home in a development which has been designed and built in accordance with the principles of this value-driven spatial planning itself, it nudges people towards leading a more sustainable life. Secondly, the sophisticated smart solutions that are referred inside the home, they make it easier for the people to kind of monitor their energy consumption and make better choices. So the more sustainable choices, they not only lower the carbon footprint, but they also lower the housing costs. So something that you can see in your purse. So it's a good motivation. For example, that a home that is fitted with like a water-saving shower and faucet, they can save annual water consumption by over 6,000 liters, which everyone can understand. It's a huge, huge shaving if you can do that. So these types of benefits, they are both money and sustainability perspectives. So you talk to a lot of customers, you talk to a lot of potential customers, you're talking to a lot of municipalities as well. What are they telling you about their expectations for sustainability as we look ahead? Yeah, well, like a cutting the carbon emissions in construction is currently high on the government and municipalities agenda, which is quite understandable considering that this is kind of a built environment. It has a key role in, in curbing the climate change. So the construction industry is responsible for like 50% of the consumption of carbon containing materials and one third of energy consumption, 40% of greenhouse emissions. So it's understandable that this is high on the agenda with the municipalities. Often the discussion is a lot about the operational emissions of the buildings, but since the availability of new renewable energy sources and also improvements in the energy performance of the apartments, it has led to uh, this focus with turning away from that towards the emissions that stem from the materials of the construct of the buildings and the construction right at the site. So that's a bit of a change. But when it comes to our clients, the location is number one factor that they are interested. But it's quite evident that there are more and more environmentally conscious home buyers and we need to provide solutions for them and we want to provide solutions for them. So we get requirements from the market also. So, so that's the situation in Finland. When you look yourself at the future, what kinds of solutions do you think we'll see more of? What are you very, if you will, bullish on or excited or optimistic about for the future in terms of solutions that will help us make for a more healthy future? Yeah, this is a very interesting issue. So currently, for example, we are exploring ways to make the homes steer the energy consumption away from the peak hours and also align it instead with the generation of renewable electricity. So. It, making it both cheaper and more sustainable. So this is a very interesting initiative. Another thing is that once again, the sophisticated home appliances, they have, the, as I mentioned earlier, they have a capacity to track the energy consumption. So for example, these smart showers, they can tell the person who is in the shower, they can measure how much water and energy is being used and report the figures to the user. So 
that something happened. But going beyond that, I think that in, in the future, I think the focus will be even more in, in the solutions that sort of support well-being. So digitalization is obviously a huge driver here. And, and in the new housing, we can create the digital infrastructure where the home, it can gather that data and use it to, to increase well-being. So, so the big idea is that, that one's home, it can be an active in supporting everyday well-being. For example, for elderly people, it can mean that there are like movement recognition in the apartment, which, which kind of follows the patterns of the person who lives in the apartment. And if something, it can give a signal, if an accident has happened, there is some unusual patterns of behavior and things like that. So it's well-being, but it's also safety. So I think these types of solutions will be more and more common in the future. Obviously, we need to have partners for that. It's a bit outside of our kind of core competence in, in a construction company. So these all smart technologies. But also another thing that we need to consider when we go into partnerships and develop uh, new solutions with the partners is that we want to make sure that these really work, these solutions. We don't want to pilot anything on people. So we need to be sure that it, it works, which means that we need to take baby steps. So small things like a, use proven solutions and then move forward step by step. So that's how we, how we work currently. Just one final question for me, when it comes to enabling healthy and sustainable living, what advice would you give to other professionals listening to this podcast about how to, to think about this or how to incorporate this in their own design sensibility? That's a big question. I think that it's, it's clear that it's a common issue for us. We need to be active and do something about this. We need to be sustainable in our lives. And I think that that for the companies, the responsibility is to enable sustainable solutions, sustainable living for people, whatever branch that the companies are working. So everyone needs to find the solutions in their branch. But the most important thing is that have an uh, opportunity to work uh, live sustainably. The focus and interest for optimizing and shifting our behaviors to have less impact on the environment has increased dramatically. People now expect their homes to enable their healthy and sustainable lifestyle through energy efficient appliances, shared services, and proximity to nature. We can achieve this by working together and rethinking the way we design and use our homes. Today, we've learned how smart appliances and communal living are just a few of the ideas that organizations across the globe are implementing. And if we continue down this path, our future looks bright. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to our guests, Vanessa Butani, Guillaume Chernibrenet, and Johanny Espera for joining us. To learn more about their thoughts and how we can all move toward more sustainable living, and for links to anything mentioned in the show, head to the show notes. If you enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And join us every episode as we continue to explore shaping sustainable places. This podcast is brought to you by Skenska. We are a world-leading project development and construction group using knowledge and foresight to shape the way we live. Go to skenska.com to learn more. That's S-K-A-N-S-K-A dot com. Thank you.